The View from the Lane is sponsored by Bet365, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Right now, we're offering listeners the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our writing on Spurs, including Charlie's recent piece on how sensible recruitment can help Spurs move on from the Mauricio Pochettino era. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up for a 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We are just days away from the start of the new Premier League season. Of course, we have three new episodes of the Amazon documentaries to talk about first, but Tottenham have just played their final friendly, losing 2-1 away at Watford. Um, Charlie, are there any positives that can be taken from this? Uh, the fact that Son Heung-min has confirmed that he is the fittest man in the world with that kind of mad dash to make a clearance off his own line uh, right at the end of the game. So, well done, Son. Positive uh, going into the season. Uh, it's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I guess the fact that players got a few more minutes in their legs, um, yeah, that obviously sounds like damning with the faintest of praise, but it wasn't great. But, you know, these preseason friendlies are, I don't think we can learn uh, a huge amount from them for, for better or worse, especially as there were, you know, a, a bunch of players missing anyway on international duty or uh, not quite fully up to speed physically yet. One thing that got a lot of attention online was Joe Hart letting in a goal from Dominguez Queener in the first half, Charlie. Yeah, I I forget. Is that the side that he can't dive towards? It certainly looked that way. Um, do you remember this whole thing that it came out a few years ago that Joe Hart can't dive one way, which is oh, yeah. quite a big disadvantage for a keeper. Um, and it, it certainly looked like that. Um, he responded in the way keepers do to you know the universal sign of kind of I was unsighted, but yeah, bit bit of a tough one. What is that? The universal sign of I was unsighted. Well, I think he, he kind of just was moved to kind of move his hands to his face and shrugged his shoulders, as if to say, you know, what could I, what could I have done about that? Um, but I'm not sure how much that was an excuse. But again, hopefully, get that out of your system in a preseason friendly. Um, but yeah, that not being able to dive to one side is quite a curious. It is one of the weirdest things in football about how that can suddenly develop. Ollie Kay wrote about this, I think, in the fantastic Joe Hart piece he did back at the, in the yeah. earlier on last season. I don't remember it being a thing like when he was really good for City. It seems to have no. kind of developed over time, strangely. Yeah, it's an odd one. That piece is really good, by the way, that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's great. One other thing on that um, Watford game, which I <laughs> got, got a bit of stick for, and 
take 100% responsibility for was on the morning of the game, I nominated Dennis Serkin as our Spurs breakthrough star to watch for the season, which we've been running on The Athletic, all the clubs. And he unfortunately gave a penalty in the first half, uh, which I guess is the journalist equivalent of commentator's curse, uh, which at one time or another in all of our careers will happen. Um, so yes, apologies for bigging Serkin up, but I do think he has a really bright future. Uh, sounds like a great kid. So he is one to watch. And just on that theme, have you, Jack or James, ever had a one of those where you uh, write a piece about a player and then he makes a mistake or, or doesn't play or that sort of thing? I think I mentioned this in my uh, Why I Joined piece uh, with The Athletic a year ago. But um, we had Deli Ali on the cover of 442 in what would have been, I guess, sort of March 2018, maybe? 17, 2017, it must have been. Um and the, the kind of the gist of the interview was that he had he'd grown and learned from the, uh, uh, you know, you know, the West Brom. The West Bro- yeah, so I've forgotten, yeah. forgotten his name now. The Argentine lad, the midfielder. Jack, you'll remember the bloke's name. He's the Argentine oh. midfielder, the combative midfielder. Who played by yeah, I can picture him in my mind, but I can't it, remember his name. What was his name? I can't get Claudio Jacob out of my head. <laughs> no, it is him. It is, no, it is him. him. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. I was well thinking. Done. Okay, but yeah, there, there, there was a Spurs West Brom game towards the end of fifteen sixteen where Deli Ali kind of sort of whacked him in the stomach off the ball, and it didn't get seen by the referee, and he got a ban for it afterwards. Uh, so the gist of the interview was that he learned his lesson and that he wouldn't do things like that again. And then between the, the magazine going to print and the magazine coming out, it's like a sort of ten day window. I don't know if you remember, but he made a, an absolutely horrific challenge in a game against uh, Ghent. Spurs yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, drew in the Europa League at home, but they went out on a, they went out on aggregate. Um, so yeah, and then the next day that magazine hit the shelves with Deli Ali saying, you know, I've learned, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to do <laughs> my shit like that again. So that, that wasn't great timing. So yeah, that's sort of not ideal. That's really good. Yeah, like the interview curse, the peace curse is a big. Uh, it's real. Like it's definitely it's definitely a real <laughs> thing that exists. <laughs> I, I know I've had with um, just like various. I've definitely had experiences of like interviewing players who. I thought we're going to be like great successes in English football and picking them up and then they did nothing. So uh, Miguel yeah. Leon at Watford, I remember. He kind of was shipped off to Porto, I think, very soon after joining. Uh, Jordi Quasi at Southampton. Does he still play for Southampton? I think he might still be on the books there. Has he gone now? I think he's at like Club Bruges or somewhere or maybe... They've got a few knocking around at Southampton that, have, that, that like, they've had for years that haven't played for them for like three years. God, yeah, that that reminds me, Jack. You mentioned Dutch brethren. I did one on Davy Clarsen when he joined Everton. I'd actually like erased that from my memory about how he was, you know, going to tear it up in the Premier League. Uh, and he's, uh, I think, he goes down as one of their worst signings ever. So Jordi Clarsen is now at AZ Alkmaar. Uh, I think my personal favourite was in like January, February, twenty eighteen. I went to Casablanca to do a thing on Morocco's twenty twenty six World Cup bid, and it was also the final of Chan. And Chan, for those that don't know, is like. It's like the African Cup of Nations, but it's for players who are only based in Africa. And uh, I saw the final, which was Morocco beating, I think it was Nigeria in the final of Chan. Uh, and Morocco's star player was Ayub El Kabi, who played for, um, uh, I've got it here on Wikipedia, he played for RSB, Renaissance Sportive de Burkan, who are a team in Morocco. And he was really, and he was quite good in that game. I think he might have scored an overhead kick. And then Hang on, sorry, how, later, can, how can he only think he might have scored an overhead kick? <laughs> I think he did. That's the kind of thing you remember. 
I think he did score an overhead kick. I would definitely remember I think he doing scored an overhead halfway kick. line. I, I forget. Um, and then it was the start of uh, then six months later at the 2018 World Cup. I think my first game, or one of my first games, was Morocco Iran in St Petersburg, and Ayub Belkabi was in the squad. And I was like, oh, this is amazing! I know so much about Ayub Ayub Belkabi, and I wrote this big piece about about Belkabi and how he was like. You know, he was a carpenter, I think, growing up before he became a footballer. And he's his amazing goal scoring record for RSB. And he's like one of the stars of the Moroccan League. And he was so good in Cham, blah, 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 blah. And obviously, like it being, it, you know, going into these World Cup games with like, particularly with non European or, or Latin American teams where people don't really know much. I remember like, you know, lots of people did read my piece and talked about it. And I think on the TV commentary, they were like, oh, I read an interesting piece by Ayub Belkabi. He used, mm-hmm. to, used to be a carpenter and stuff. And he was absolute shit. Like, he was terrible <laughs> in that game. And I think for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the World Cup. And I think, he, but I do, I've just looked him up. He actually got a move off the back of the World playing the World Cup, I suppose, to head by China Fortune. But it didn't last for long because he's now back on loan in Morocco at Weedad Casablanca. But, Off um, the back of your piece, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I made his career, but um, you should take it. Yeah, cut. so it, it does do, happen. <laughs> no. Don't you think? Don't you think there's kind of? Um, I was thinking about this the other day. There's almost like a journalist equivalent of that thing when you sign when you make a new signing and you watch his best bits on YouTube and every player looks amazing. I kind of feel that sometimes uh, as a journalist, when you you know you talk to loads of people about a player, and most players come across pretty well from that I think so you you know you make a new signing and when you've spoken to a lot of guys and they're like yeah he's amazing he's a good guy whatever you're like yeah he, he's really really going to do it in the same way you would after watching that YouTube compilation uh, but it's not always an exact science you know these things these things always don't work out yeah I definitely feel like you're you're absolutely right that writing about a player and or even more so interviewing a player does mm. nine times out of ten like skew you towards sympathy and, and optimism about that individual player probably more than it should do but it's a very common yeah it's very very common in those situations that the more you learn and write about a player the more like a you feel that you know you look at their positives rather than their negatives and b you like become predisposed to wanting them to do well and i think that that's like a very natural like bias in football journalism and maybe one that we should all be a little bit more, bit a little bit more wary of. Harry's sponsors the View from the Lane, a podcast brought to you by the Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors, and now they've released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. The best part: they haven't raised prices. So replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash lane right now. That's harrys.com forward slash lane. Elsewhere in Spurs world, Trevor Birch has joined the club this week, joining the board. The name, I think, has come really out of nowhere, but the the idea for Spurs of getting more ex- help and experience in on the board has been around for a while. It's something they've been keen to do really throughout this year. They wanted to, to strengthen the board and give Daniel Levy some help. Um, Charlie, you've written a piece about this with our colleague Stu James. What's Birch going to bring to the club? 
<laughs> at the risk of uh, bigging up a new appointment, as I was just talking about, um, he someone with tons of experience. Uh, I mean, he's been at lots of clubs, uh, Chelsea, Everton briefly, Leeds, Portsmouth, um, and doing you know a real variety of roles. He's a former footballer himself, uh, but is trained as an accountant. And pe- what people say about him, speaking to various people who've worked with him uh, or been supporters groups with him, is that he is someone who has, he's quite rare in that he obviously has a really good financial knowledge, but also does uh, understand the way football works sort of from top to bottom. He has that experience and he also has a human touch. He's tended to get on very well with supporters uh, at the clubs he's been at, which considering some of the roles he's done, you know, he's come in, um, you know, like as an administrator at Portsmouth uh, and was instrumental there in getting the supporters group uh, ownership of the club. Um, so to kind of come out of that with credit, you know, normally those guys are <laughs> despised you know the, the administration that sort of thing so he's clearly doing something right um and as you say this ties into the idea that uh the chairman daniel levy needs to uh step back a little bit from some of the day-to-day minutiae of running the club uh he is one of the most hands-on chairman in the league uh, and you think how big spurs have got over the last few years they've just got bigger and bigger and bigger and you know, to still have someone in such a hands-on role, I think, is is very challenging. And even the new stadium, I was talking to someone about this. And, you know, if you think Wembley, um, that the running of that uh, is looked after by a subsidiary of the FA rather than by the FA itself. And you think, um, you know, so that is a huge operation. You think the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in normal times is meant to be basically being used all through the year. Uh, so it's it's a massive job that Daniel Levy has. So having someone like Trevor Birch come in with that experience, um, you know, he's basically, one guy puts it to me, he's almost going to be like a managing director. So, you know, really involved in the day-to-day uh, operations. And he's someone who has a very wide uh, book of contacts. So that's going to be, you know, very handy for transfers. He's said to be uh, a very good negotiator, very different um, from Daniel Levy, you know, not quite as uncompromising in his style. So hopefully that will be a good counterbalance. Um, so it sounds like he's gonna gonna bring a lot to the table. I mean, I, I you know I think a lot of people uh, in the comments under the the profile uh, piece that Stu and I wrote, uh, you know, were suggesting, well, he's he's moved around a lot. Is that a concern? And maybe it is, but I think um, you know he he's tended to be. Uh, very popular wherever he's been and I think it it feels like a sensible appointment and I made the point in the piece it it almost ties into this theme that Spurs this summer seem to have been making some quite sensible uh, appointments you know you look at their transfer policy and I think Hoiberg and Doherty definitely make sense yes they might not be the massive names in the same way that Trevor Birch isn't the massive name Uh, but I think they make sense and you know they've revamped their academy Spurs obviously precipitated by the former academy head John McDermott leaving uh, and brought in like Chris Powell there which feels again like a really smart hire so yeah you know change is happening at a club that are often accused of you know of of not really changing Um, and they brought in another board member earlier in the summer Jonathan Turner Um, so yeah exciting times and and that reminds me actually I mean Jonathan Turner who's an M&A expert obviously Trevor Birch has been involved in takeovers he was the chief executive Chelsea when Roman Abramovich came in so there's been a lot of speculation about that as to whether he's being there to kind of smooth a takeover and this is something Jack and I wrote about in our profile of Daniel Levy um, back in July so 
a lot of interesting subplots to that. You know, there's that element and then the transfer side of things and how much of a difference it'll make there. Um, so yes, what, uh, you know, for, for, for a backroom appointment, there's tons going on there, I think. I think it's really interesting. I think one thing that became clear to us in the reporting of that Daniel Levy profile that we did a few months ago is that he really has the most, like, micromanaging role, if that's the right way of putting it. It probably isn't. Of, a- of anyone at any equivalently sized club anywhere in Europe. Like, he is... Levy does absolutely everything. Like, he does contracts, he does signings, he does negotiations. He's been in talks to sell the club he's built this massive new stadium by himself which he oversees and runs like it's it's just in, it's kind of crazy how much he has on his plate and he's also been doing it you know not all of that stuff but he's been doing it in various ways for 20 years now it would be totally understandable if he were pretty tired or worn out by all that work so i think it it's only right that he should get in a little bit more help on board level and someone he can delegate to on this sort of thing so I think from from that point of view, it makes perfect sense. Now, of course, the other big news that we've got right now is the episodes four, five, and six of Amazon's All or Nothing documentary on Tottenham. We've been able to see them a few days early. James, what was your big what was your big take home of these episodes? But the thing that really struck me, it, it, particularly in the fourth episode, but it does come up again in the sixth, is the the and maybe I'm speaking out of turn here or being uh, out of turn here or being a bit unfair, but it does seem like. Every time Jeff Scott, the head physio, uh, turns up to give Mourinho what, what admittedly is always bad news, and Mourinho just doesn't seem to have any respect for him at all. I, and I'm sure that's not actually the case. But there's, there's a bit in the third episode, in the fourth episode, sorry, where uh, Mourinho and his coaching staff are sat in the canteen, um, and Jeff Scott comes through to kind of update him on a couple of injuries that a couple of players have got. And Mourinho doesn't even make eye contact with him. He just looks like straightforward as Jeff Scott has kind of stood to the side of him, like running through this list of, of knocks. And I don't know, it's thought it was a bit weird. I mean, and again, I, I'm not like cuts up casting aspersions that there's any kind of genuine issue there. But it just, that does come off a bit strangely in, in the documentary. Yeah, that, that to me felt like he um, is just a bit of an easy target as someone to almost vent at. You know that, you know... It's the classic "don't shoot the messenger," but he is yeah. invariably when we see him giving him bad news. And God, you do feel for for, for Jeff Scott when uh, you're aware that he's going to have to tell uh, Mourinho about the sun, yeah. one, like just <laughs> so soon after <laughs> game. And it's like, oh God! Like you, you, we've all been there. Like when we've had to, you know, tell someone bad news, and it's just like <laughs> poor, poor Jeff Scott. And Charlie, this is the first time I think that we you get a speaking role. Yeah, yeah. He, he asked a big question that tees up probably what what I think for most people will be the key scene of the entire series. Yeah, I'm ho- I'm in a big supporting role for me there. Um, a shame I'm not. You can't actually see me. I think it's just my voice. I also I, I, I like you were saying, Jack. You know, you feel your kind of when you're show making stupid expressions. I feel like I always look really bored in all the uh, the bits I'm showing, which I can assure you was not the case. You look very solemn, like you're at yeah, a funeral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I, it like really solemn and like, yeah, as if what's being talked about is like the most important thing in the world. Just for a bit of context, this was, so after the nil-nil draw at Watford, when you asked Mourinho about Danny Rose, is that right? Yeah, what they actually don't show as well. Like, so that, the, that day, Rose wasn't in the squad. And um, so I asked him afterwards, I was like, why wasn't Rose in the squad? Um, was he was he injured? And Reno said, yeah, yeah, he was injured. And so then afterwards, I learned that 
that wasn't the case, uh, or at least I was told it wasn't the case. So I did a piece that night saying that there was this disconnect, um, you know, between what was being said about whether Rose was injured or not. Um, so I was, you know, as that piece reported at the time, it's like, well, clearly all is not right. But yeah, the question they show me asking is whether, um, you know, he was part of his plans. And Jose says yes. And then it kind of cuts to um, the next morning and the um, probably the highlight of the series so far. Yeah, so this is, I think, I think episode five is the best episode we've seen of the six so far. And I think that, by a, distance, by, yeah, yeah. By a mile. And it's because it's the only one to me that really feels like a documentary. And it has stuff that I think, wow, like, it's kind of cool that we get to see that. So there's some interesting stuff with Ericsson, like Ericsson heading towards his, his move to Inter Milan. But the highlight for me is the issue between Rose and Mourinho. So Rose basically goes into Mourinho's office after this game and, um, and you previously see Rose moaning about Spurs going long all the time and he's asking what what's the point of it all. But then he goes into Mourinho's office after Watford to ask why he's not playing. And it's a really, really good confrontation. I was very excited when you came as manager. But if you don't want me to play, I'd rather you just tell me now. And I'll stay at home after. And I'll train at home. No, but let me try to be as open as I can with you because I think you deserve that. When I arrived, you played some matches, you were on the bench other matches, I didn't select you other matches, and I think also this is not what a player wants, because a player wants to feel the trust, pam, 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 but was not also a gun, and you don't play anymore. The week before Liverpool, you were fantastic in training. You were fantastic. And that made me decide that probably the most difficult game against the most difficult opponents, you played. I think you didn't play well. Then the next game against Middlesbrough, Tanganga played so well and is so strong defensively and doesn't make any kind of mistakes because he's so fast and so powerful. I cannot say, are you going to be a first choice? Are you going to play uh, every match? Depends on you. Okay, I respect what you're saying about I didn't play well against Liverpool, which is true. But I play once every four weeks. Do you want me to be man of the match and you want me to be give my, my best performance when I play one game and then I don't play again, again for three or four weeks? The defence has kept two clean sheets. They play every game. It's not fair. So you want me to play... No, no, it's okay. No, no, you're the manager. But yeah. you're saying to me... I was shit against Liverpool. I respect. No, 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 no shit. Okay, I wasn't good. It wasn't my best game. Yeah, you are right, and I respect what you say. But other people have been shit in training, shit in games, but play every game and in the squad every game. It's not fair. It's your perspective. It's not fair. It's facts. But the whole changing room know it's facts. It's not fair. And Daniel, I'm going to see Daniel as well. So when Daniel's in, tell me I'm, I'm, I'm looking for him. It's so good. Like, they're kind of... To, ha- to see a player confronting Mourinho like that in a way that I don't think many many players would really. So it's testament to Rose's kind of famous forthrightness and honesty and straight talking. And to be honest, I kind of think Mourinho doesn't really give him a proper answer. He just says, oh, you didn't play well against Liverpool. But he doesn't really explain why Rose is so far out of the picture. And I, think- I, I, I kind of think he does offer it actually a little bit. There's a bit where he talks about like, uh, I think he's talking about Tanganga playing in that in that Middlesbrough game, and he talks about like his kind of size and power. And you know, there's his old kind of trope about Mourinho 
wanting his fullbacks to be over six foot. I, mean, I think we kind of alluded to it last week with Doherty. And obviously Tanganga is a much bigger guy than Danny Rose, as is Ben Davis. And you do wonder whether that, he kind of offered that little clue in that answer. You're not playing because you're five foot seven. But Rose wasn't even in the um, in the squad for that Watford game. So there was, you know, to be completely dropped from the squad is is quite a step. But I mean, I think with a couple of things, like with any with any of this, I think you, you do have to be wary that you're not getting comp- the complete picture. Like it is possible that was edited in such a way uh, to make it more dramatic. So there's that caveat. But I also thought it was interesting... Um, I've I've been told with Mourinho before, like he, he he obviously has this reputation as being very confrontational and kind of relishing that, and and you see that he he he's very good at doing that in a performative way when he's talking to like the whole team, but actually um, in one on one situations apparently he's not one you know to necessarily court those kind of arguments, and I think it's interesting because he he does look a little bit uncomfortable with Rose. He doesn't look like he's like really up for the scrap. He actually looks a bit caught off guard and as if. And, and a bit awkward that he doesn't really want to have this like blazing row. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting because it it is a bit different from his uh, kind of abrasive, chest-beating persona in public. The View from the Lane is brought to you in association with Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We have gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom while in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. What I found to be quite interesting was even though that the conversation between Rose and Mourinho felt really real, I think there's a subsequent conversation where Rose speaks to Daniel Levy in the canteen and Levy, <laughs> yeah. tells, him, Levy tells him that Bournemouth and Newcastle are in for him, but that... Bournemouth might not be able to match the salaries on. He's waiting to hear back from Newcastle and Milan, who Rose was interested in going to, don't seem to want him. And that, to me, just didn't feel quite so real. I just didn't... I, may, maybe I'm wrong, but for me, it kind of failed a sort of smell test, if you know what I mean, that they would be having that conversation in the players' canteen. I'd be really surprised if Daniel Levy like ate his breakfast in the players' canteen, as a kind of matter, of course, um, and was then happy for a player to, to come up and sit with him... <laughs> Like, 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 uh, like, like, uninvited, uh, and then start talking about a transfer away from the club. I'd be, I mean, mm-hmm. like, having an open door policy is one thing, and if, if Levy genuinely has that, and I think that's really good, you know, and it's good that the players can feel that they can go and talk to him. But if he sat in the players' canteen every day, does that not feel like that's almost a little bit too close? Because to me, that kind of feels like he one he should kind of be giving him that space, and people don't want to necessarily be sat with the boss. Like peering over their shoulder all day, and two. Like when Alex like, Kjelski's in the office, everyone. Oh well, yeah, in the ab- office, isn't they? absolutely. Uh, and two, uh, it, it, uh, to, to me, it kind of suggests maybe he's a little bit too close, almost emotionally, to some of the players. The way, and you know, the way that Daniel, uh, that Danny Rose refers to him as Daniel, when you normally expect a footballer to talk about the chairman as the chairman, or you know, or Mr. Mr. Levy, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, 
and again, this is this could be me sort of overanalyzing it and being a bit negative, but I, that did make me think if that is genuinely the way that that dynamic works, and it, it doesn't sit comfortably entirely with me. Well, there, there are lots. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about the, the the closeness. I think as well, what is funny about that exchange? I've actually got it written up in front of me. Is it's it re it's really it's quite quaint. So Rose is like, oh, did you follow up on Milan in the way that we, you know, in a normal office, you might be like, oh, did you follow up on that email to the suppliers or whatever it is? Yeah. Like it makes it all seem just like very, I don't know, or, or almost like football manager, like you know, click here to 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 inquire about player, and then uh, leaves like no, Milan's a no at the moment, um, and he says about Levy says about Bournemouth that they're definitely checking you out. Um, but like on that close, I thought it was hilarious. The um, and, and this came up something actually on that profile of Levy's, you know, how much he does just love being involved in the transfer side of things. And you kind of see that how much he likes being involved with the players. And and I get that with the transfers because it does seem pretty exciting. And he's there with Bergvine when he's having that face type with Mourinho. And he's just so he, he is. And actually, like someone I spoke to uh, about kind of how Levy is with transfers, used the expression like a kid in a sweet shop. And and he does look a bit like that. He looks so buzzing just to be there. And then there's that amazing moment, which I think was my favourite moment of the whole series so far, when he's uh, he's sort of hovering behind Bergwijn and his family or having this intimate face time with Mourinho. And he, he kind of pipes up with, you better not let him down. And uh, Bergwijn doesn't really understand and is like, sorry, come again. And he just repeats, you better not let him down. And there's kind of this pause. He's like, high expectations. And they don't really know what's like. And then you just see, and they've like obviously edited really well. Uh, yeah, and then he just, <laughs> he just kind of like moonwalks out. It is, uh, it's just so, it's so brilliantly done. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that is, that bit is really, really good. Oh, also, one other thing that I really liked in that episode is the discussions with Ericsson about Ericsson's sale, which I think did feel a bit more, a bit more real. Um, and some bits which I think feel a bit less real. So there's a, and seemingly the key meeting is between Levy, Ericsson and Mourinho in Mourinho's office, where it's clear that Ericsson wants to go and wants Tottenham to do a deal with Inter Milan to sell him. And Levy's been explaining why they haven't been able to accept what, what Milan have offered yet. And Levy, I don't think it's on purpose, but delivers what is feels like a little bit of a put down to Ericsson. Where he, he says, it's not like we're talking about a hundred million transfer. It is a relatively small sum of money, 20 million euros. And reluctantly, we would agree to let you go, which given like the path of Ericsson's ambitions and the kind of, you know, how he wanted to go to Real Madrid or Barcelona and Levy was saying that he would be like 100 million plus and then he nearly went to Man United six months before for, I think, 80, 80-ish. Uh, and then Ericsson pulled out of that and now all of a sudden he's he's getting sold for, you know, less than Spurs. as a sort of sum of money that Spurs would, would get or spend on a player far, far less talented than Ericsson. It's just a kind of slightly strange sign of how... It's like an interesting sign of how the Ericsson transfer ended up being one that suited nobody. Just one thing on that, Ericsson. I, th- I, I did like those conversations and I was quite a lot in there. I just thought it was a slight shame and, you know, this is probably a limitation of um, the documentary in inverted commas, but... Um, when we we hear that he's saying about you know he'll only accept twenty million and then we're just told and he got his twenty million and you kind of want to understand how how he did that you know all we've seen so far is him seeming you know fairly measured and almost jovial with a lot of the players but he's clearly managed to to do this deal precisely as he wanted but we're not given any insight into how he did that with Inter. Yeah, well, I think there was some pretty. I think ultimately the final deal was hammered out by agents working on behalf of Spurs in Milan. 
uh, between they, tr- trying to get enough money out of Milan for for Spurs to be able to say yes. But I think it was pretty it was pretty fraught, and it was looking until it happened. It felt as if it might not happen. So, uh, but obviously that would have happened away from all the Amazon cameras. One other thing I want to pick up on, which I quite liked, was Ben Davis. So Ben Davis is like he's really he's very good at talking to the media in terms of like he'll he'll talk after a game but he never really says anything at all like he's quite a he doesn't really give much away and yet I think he really comes across as as quite an interesting smart guy in this so there's a bit where they're talking about transfers and Davis says that transfers have gone crazy and he said whatever happened to letting a player develop a bit and then like on the Sky Sky Sports are showing up how much has been spent in previous windows and it shows like a, a certain sum of money that was spent by all the clubs put together in back in the summer of 2011. And David says something like, imagine how much that money would be worth now because b- before Neymar's transfer, that is in 2017, changed the market. And clearly it's just like, it shows that he's he's able to, you know, he thinks about inflation and the kind of changing pace of the transfer market in a way that is, you know, w- with real kind of in, insight and depth in a way that doesn't always... When Davis does stop to speak to the media after games, that kind of his his answers are generally a bit more like predictable than that. If you know what I mean. And and then we have the great moment of Harry Kane like rushing to finish his mouthful of cereal so he can finish a joke. <laughs> because Ericsson <laughs> says that that, that two hundred million pounds is is Harry's right foot now, and then you can see Kane like immediately think like, oh, I've got a joke here, but he's got a mouthful of cereal, so he gets, kind of has to digest that and then says. Yeah, not with a hamstring though. We've all been there. I like as well when he after to Winks when Wink, which I think everyone was thinking as well. When Winks won, basically got uh, Zinchenko sent off with that uh, driving run against City, and Davis like, where the hell did you get that turn of pace from? Uh, which is quite a sweet moment, and they embrace. Yeah, that is good. But then, unfortunately, episode six is, I don't think it's as good as episode five. For me, I found myself getting really strangely emotional when that kid from Brazil, there's a 10-year-old Brazilian Spurs fan called Gabby, who meets Lucas Moura by surprise uh, in, a, in a stadium tour. And uh, I found that really, really moving. But beyond that, I didn't really think there was that much in episode six. It was mainly just moaning about injuries. Uh, the other thing I found interesting was Steve Hitchin saying he basically hated the January transfer window. Which, I mean, I don't know how Spurs fans will feel hearing the head of recruitment saying that. I mean, I guess in a way, I mean, it kind of ties into to some of the stuff Ben Davis was saying about, you know, the perception being that clubs should always sign players and and they shouldn't just develop, which I guess is kind of where he's coming from. Um, but he talks about, you know, the club had known that they needed to, to, to start rebuilding the team for 12 months. And I was kind of surprised that it was only 12 months because it has definitely felt like something that's been kind of blindingly obvious for... Well, I mean, obviously, you're talking 12 months, six months ago, but, uh, you know, certainly for a couple of years. And so he describes it as a window of opportunity, a window of panic, not a window to plan in. I hate it. Yeah, that is good. And also, I love the bit where Rose has just said that it's a slap in the face to see right-footed centre-backs play at left-back. And then there's an immediate cut to Steve Hitchens saying, our edge is the togetherness, a spirit within the group. Once that's broken, it's very difficult to repair. Uh, which I'm sure must have been on purpose. Um, but yeah, what, uh, that's actually one thing that I think this documentary does well, which I wouldn't mind a little bit more of, is cutting between like the kind of live camera footage of people interacting and then cutting back to them doing pieces to camera talking about what happened, which is like the basis for my favourite shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians, where you see the kind of, you, you see the characters like analysing the scenes that they've just been in. And they've done that a little bit with Rose and Ericsson 
in uh, in episodes five and six. Sorry, with Rose Erickson and Mourinho in these episodes. But ultimately, I think I would like to see more of that because that is really what makes a reality show. Anyway, that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thanks very much, everyone, for, for listening. Thank you, James and Charlie and producer Tom. And we'll be back with a special season preview podcast later this week to tee up the start of the new season, which, of course, is this weekend, and looking at what we think will or won't happen to Tottenham over the course of 2020-2021. Thanks very much for listening.